The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. It feels like all our heroes are coming. We all know why. Because it's painful not to pretend. The world itself is just one big hoax. The moon is a curious thing. People have various opinions on it, depending on who you ask. When mentioning the moon, most people will immediately tell you about how we did or didn't land there back in 69. Some people think the moon is concave, or a translucent projection. Ideas about the moon have been so embedded into our culture that we don't really think about them much. We're told the moon controls the tides, and maybe even controls us. When people act strange, we say, it must be a full moon tonight. And we don't even really think about why. We're too busy arguing about the shape of the earth or the veracity of space as it's defined by our rulers. But I don't think it's anything like they tell us. Hey, welcome to A Light On Podcast, another solo edition of A Light On Podcast. Happy to have you here. We're going to get started pretty quickly here, and we're going to talk about the moon, but not only the moon, uh, we're going to talk about the planets and stars and occult cosmology that maybe you've never really heard about. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, dancing, whatever. So big thank yous there, and let's get into the info here. So I want to talk about the moon to start off with here, and then I'm going to go into how it fits into the bigger picture of the solar system in occult science. And again, I'm using the teachings of people like Rudolf Steiner in anthroposophy, um, Edgar Cayce, uh, people like that. So if you want to find some sources for this material you can look into those works and as always this is material that I find rings true for me at the present moment I'm always updating my views I'm always changing my mind do your own research not everything I say is necessarily true or correct we're just kind of throwing out ideas here so be sure to keep up with the latest episodes and follow along with the journey of the podcast The moon is one of the closest realms to Earth. And in one of my other podcasts, 
I spoke about how um, in the evolution of the of the earth, there's a sort of mitosis that happens where the planet separates. You can see it as a sort of separation of higher consciousness from the lower consciousness. So we are part of the earth organism and we evolve with that organism. So those that are aligned with the higher consciousness, with Christ consciousness, right? Those people get separated from the shadow side, right? Just like the earth. So everything, including its inhabitants, is part of this purification system. And so if you're too aligned with this shadow aspect, the left-hand path, too many attachments, addictions, evil acts, in this concept of the solar system, you will be reincarnated here. You will keep going in that loop. You are trapped in the moonlock, in that sort of moon frequency. Your food for the moon, as Gurdjieff said. Gurdjieff apparently didn't think much of people, and that's why he said that. Because look around at clown world, right? There's not many enlightened members of society walking around. And so if you consistently commit evil acts, you go against God, Christ, the natural evolution, you will eventually be kicked out of the system, out of the natural stream of evolution, and you will be trapped on the moon. This is sort of the underpinnings of morality, right? The cosmic law of morality. I personally always say that, you know, morality is inherent. It's part of the cosmic law. And this is explained in so many different ways, and it's, um, it's represented in so many different ways. You know, even in the more new agey circles, this idea of ascension, right? Those are the people who, are, uh, who have attained more spirit to, to move on, to ascend into a more spiritualized form. They're part of that purification. They're part of the higher consciousness. There's truth in all of this stuff. Some people don't really want to believe in the ascension thing because it's been kind of hijacked by the New Age movement. But there are things that parallel other more believable systems. And, um, you know, they seem to ring true. I, I get it why they, you know, why they don't like that because I'm very like... Uh, adverse to that to the new age i i don't like where a lot of that has gone and i don't subscribe to it uh, but it's important to uh, research and look at various parallels right that's how we find out uh, where the truth is so you can find these little gems in in every sort of circle but so what is the moon the moon is the separated aspect the shadow aspect of a previous iteration of the earth. What I find really interesting is that there's a theory that the moon is a mirror reflection of the geography of earth. Now, I don't know. I think some people say that it's it hasn't been proven, like they can't seem to fit the geography exactly with that of the moon. But that would make sense to me because the moon is sort of a, a skin that's been shed from the earth. The thing is, what can we really trust as a source for, for the geography, though? We know cartography, if you look into it, is flawed, right? It starts off at, at a deficit, I think. 
So we don't really know what the true geography of Earth is, I would say. I think the land masses have probably changed over time. I mean, we talk about like, you know, old epochs, um, cataclysms and Atlantis sinking into the ocean. We don't know like one, what the true geography is at the start and two, where it has evolved to. I mean, we know NASA's not showing us the truth, right? They show us CGI balls from space, which I don't believe we can really get to in the way that they say. So, I don't know, without saying 100% on that theory, I think that there is something to it. I think it makes sense to me within this system of, of separation. And just allow me to take you on a brief detour here to piggyback on what I said about cartography. I came across this book by Mirella Altic, Encounters in the New World, Jesuit Cartography of the Americas. Now, you know if the Jesuits had anything to do with this, uh, that it's probably all fucked up, <laughs> okay? We know who the Jesuits are. They essentially run the world. Roman Catholic Jesuits, Society of Jesus, born out of the Knights Templar, all of those groups which are essentially the foot soldiers of the Vatican. The Vatican is very much at the head of the snake, right? The, the white pope and the black pope. Uh, that goes into the various families, the Italian families that you don't typically hear about, which are considered the black nobility. So let me pick out just some brief blurbs here. As active participants in the creation and dissemination of knowledge, the Jesuits became prominent protagonists in various scientific undertakings, exercising a powerful influence on the intellectual communities of the Old and New Worlds. Their interest in observational astronomy, Euclidean mathematics, and geometry, as well as their belief in the hierarchical and structured nature of knowledge, enabled them to become distinguished scientists in various fields many of which were related to cartography. Little blurb here. The most efficient dissemination of Jesuit geographical knowledge was enabled through their coordinated publishing service, which served as an important vehicle of propaganda for the society. So obviously we can't really trust cartography. Like everything, it's a lie, right? It was disseminated by the New World Order cult, like everything is, right? So when it comes to this theory of the moon geography mirroring Earth, we can't really say if it's wrong or right because we don't really know what geography actually is. But it makes sense given what we're talking about and how the Earth evolves in the solar system evolutionarily. And this idea of the moon being a sort of low-frequency essence separated from the Earth... Really, it's a kind of returning to balance, and the moon would be the sort of garbage left over. The low-frequency, more animalistic desires, the lower nature of man. It's a separation of good from evil. So that being said, what are planets? Well, it's the same type of deal. Planets are material representations of a prior uh, essence of our evolution. They're uh, ejected vestiges of prior epochs and 
timelines of development that we've since surpassed and we we shed it like a sort of skin and when we talk about the moon we always talk about the beings on the moon right that's where the soul trap is and all that well that's because the moon as i said is a leftover vestige of the prior earth that we previously evolved from so that's why there are still unevolved beings trapped on the moon and people have near-death experiences they see the moon they see beings on the moon they see the soul trap thing going on there here's a quick clip from episode 46 with zeph daniels who had an experience channeling the moon this is what he said and i was channeling the moon and and i had this uh could see this crystal city and these guys that were running the earth from they were like advanced beings of some kind of a council of some kind i couldn't tell you exactly but they had this crystal building they were in and you know nothing we've ever seen and they had these i'd like to say like robe type things on but i really can't be completely sure of that either they seem like um like the elders who ran the earth or something yeah like almost like the gods of mount olympus you know yep. they weren't in their garb then okay so i'm calling it cities of light and i'm writing I, mean, I was writing with a fountain pen, you know, cities of light, cities of light. And that was the city of light. You know, what were these cities of light? And, you know, eventually, uh, the, the, you know, uh, uh, on another session, I saw this kind of tunnel of light. And I understood it was the tunnel of light you go to when you die. So those beings have been trapped in the moon realm. They belong to old phases of the earth, the shadow aspects. And the moon is also a portal. It's your entrance back to the earth via reincarnation. Hence the soul recycling center seen there. So again, if you're reincarnated and you don't learn your lessons here and you spend your time um, committing atrocities, being attached to greed and you know materialistic aspects, in other words, you commit sins, then you will be trapped in the moonlock. Here's an interesting study called Traces of the Worship of the Moon God Sin Among the Early Israelites. It's really interesting that, uh, you know, Judaism began as the worship of the moon, the god Sin. It would come up on the mountain of Ai, which is where we get Mount Sinai from these are the sea people who infiltrated that part of the world known as canaan they're often known as canaanites or phoenicians phoenicians alluding to the reddish purple color of their garb which was created from the dye made of a very rare sea snail and consequently is why self-proclaimed royalty still wears purple today it's a symbol of royalty and those sea peoples, by the way, they originated from out in Ireland and moved their way east, in my opinion. And those would be our aforementioned Roman Catholic Jesuit friends, or what would later be known as the Jesuits. And so moving east on their conquests, in Egypt they were originally worshipping the god Isis uh, until the pharaoh Akhenaten introduced the worship of Amun-Ra, or Re, Going north into Palestine, which came from the Philistines, a group that was native there, they were worshipping El, 
And the combination of those three gods became Israel. And if you look up El, it's always associated with Saturn. They call him the father of heaven, but we know who they're really talking about. We discussed what they refer to when they talk about heaven a lot. Like in the Bible, they're actually talking about the firmament, the eighth sphere, the lower astral realm. And they always talk about El being symbolized by the bull, like Baal, right? That whole thing. It's all pretty much all connected to Baal worship. And here's Baal, symbol, bull, ram, thunderbolt. And who else is represented as the thunderbolt? Well, let's ask the Bible, Luke 10:18, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. The double lightning bolt or thunderbolt is a common symbol for Satan, also used by this group in history, who some people seem to think were good guys because they don't know how to do research. And we've covered a little bit of this before in a previous episode, but just look at the symbology, guys. It's all there, staring you in the face, okay? The double lightning bolts, the death's head, skull and crossbones, the canted swastika over to the left. I mean, I, I could I could go all day, but in the interest of time. But yeah, I just wanted you to see the connections there. There's a lot of dots to be connected. So they were worshiping this uh, lower aspect of consciousness, this sort of uh, mechanism that represents the left-hand path because as we discussed in uh, episode 54 uh, and others you know the sun is the the path of christ right the the way that that we evolve we evolve through the sun it represents uh, higher consciousness the higher mind enlightenment um, it is uh, light from the godhead john 14 6 right Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the Son of God. The Son, also a portal, right? Through the Father, that's how you get to heaven. But if you commit those evil acts and you gravitate more toward materialism and the left-hand path, then you do not have enough of that spirit Christ energy in you to cross the abyss. And the abyss is this, this realm that I talked about in episode 52. Steiner and others called it the eighth sphere. And the eighth sphere, of course, is not a physical place. You could see it as almost like its own dimension. And it functions as a catch-all, a sort of septic tank of lower consciousness and soul fragments uh, just nightmarish things. It's also known as the lower astral realm, like the lowest layer of the astral. And it it is what they're talking about when they talk about purgatory or hell or the bardos, as I mentioned in my other podcast. It's it's the closest thing to all those sort of ideas in, in ancient texts and, and religions and all that. So upon death... The soul spends a bit of time here in order to dissolve away its sins. 
So depending on your attachments and your addictions, the quality of your soul, the frequency of your soul, if you will, dictates whether you cross the abyss. In Adventures in the Afterlife, out-of-body researcher William Bowman says, Those who accept only matter as valid will continue to dwell as close as possible to the physical world, even after death. Their attachments, addictions, indoctrinations, fear of change, and physical self-identities bind them to the only reality they know and understand. The end result is that many souls are drawn to the energy dimension closest to matter. This is a parallel energy dimension existing at a different vibrational density and just out of phase with the physical world. Their continuing focus upon the physical world binds them to this and other shadow environments close to the earth. What they experience after death are energy replicas of their life on earth. They will often ignore all offers of assistance or guidance. So he's basically talking about the eighth sphere, right? A shadow environment close to the earth. And so when you're too grounded in matter, you're too locked into your earthly attachments. You're too far from spirit. And so you'll be confronted with those attachments, those addictions. And remember, the eighth sphere is a realm of negative thought forms. You'll be confronted with your demons, right? If you're trapped in the religion construct, you might see religious figures. If you're too attached to your earthly relationships, you might see your dead grandma. You're confronted with these things and you, and you kind of let them go. And so I think it's a sort of balance in order to cross the abyss. Even in Greek mythology, right, you had the ferryman of Hades, the Greek underworld, would ferry you across. In another quote from Bullman from The Secret of the soul, he writes, everything seen and unseen is a form of energy, and there is no escaping the subtle energy creations of our own mind. We must conquer our personal addictions and attachments, for these are the anchors that hold us to the density of form and matter. One of the great benefits of self-initiated spiritual exploration is our expanded ability to resolve blocks and attachments by experiencing and confronting their subtle, unseen source. So this is why, you know, I'm starting to tell people like this soul trap thing people are talking about. It's too simplistic the way that they're talking about it. They see it as this just like this trap, this negative uh, you know, prison planet thing that's happening. And you could see it that way, but um, the way they talk about it, it sort of dissolves your own responsibility in it. Because it's really up to you. It's really up to your vibration. That's why people in ancient cultures used to spend a great deal of time preparing for death, right? It was a, an event that you prepared for. So you can see why it's so important to focus more on the spiritual aspect of life and also why we're being pushed toward the opposite so hard. Why they want us grounded in matter, in materialistic things, in success, in the form of money. Why celebrity is so important, keep you grounded in your ego, keep you grounded in the mind and intellect, keeps you away from spirit. So if we choose to look at it from this point of view, Yes, there are these beings on the moon, and yes, they're operating this soul trap because 
they're hoping that they can get you back here. They're hoping they can keep you close to matter, close to the earth realm and, and coming back so they can use your energy. So, yes, they're doing what they do as part of the mechanism because they've been stuck there. They've been trapped. So, yes, that's going on. And maybe, you know, they are taking advantage of the situation, but it does not dissolve your responsibility in it. And so the eighth sphere is also known as the lower astral realm. In the astral plane, C.W. Ledbetter writes, A man who has led a good and pure life, whose strongest feelings and aspirations have been unselfish and spiritual, will have no attraction to this plane, and will, if entirely left alone, find little to keep him upon it or to awaken him into activity even during the comparatively short period of his stay. For it must be understood that after death, the true man is withdrawing into himself. And just as at the first step of that process, he casts off the physical body and almost directly afterwards, the etheric double and the prana. So it is intended that he should as soon as possible cast off also the astral or comic body and pass into the devachanic condition where alone his spiritual aspirations can find their full fruition. The noble and pure-minded man will be able to do this, for he has subdued all earthly passions during life. The force of his will has been directed into higher channels, and there is therefore but little energy of lower desire to be worked out in Kamaloka. His stay there will consequently be very short, and most probably he will have little more than a dreamy half-consciousness of existence until he sinks into the sleep during which his higher principles finally free themselves from the comic envelope and enter upon the blissful rest of Devachan. So I think unless you're a total piece of shit, you'll be just fine and you'll fly right past that astral realm, that lower fourth dimension, whatever you want to call it. David Icke always talks about reptilians being from the lower fourth dimension, right? Because it's the home of various devolved or unevolved beings. So when beings devolve, they tend to take on a lower consciousness form, like that of reptiles or insects. That's why you see a lot of representations in religion and, you know, ancient portrayals. Um, even the devil, you know, with horns, hoofs, you see these kind of like um, this cross between human and animal. And Steiner talks about how in prior epochs, humans were not in the same form uh, because we go through this cycle of evolution, right? From more spiritual into matter, right? The fall into matter. Uh, before the fall into matter, we were in a more spiritualized form and our, our bodies were not fully formed or not formed in the same way and there were different sort of lower consciousness aspects to some of the beings i want to read something from one of steiner's lectures already on the old moon man had some slight power of using both his front limbs for the purpose of grasping so that now the time came for assuming the upright posture his other living companions were in the lemurian age of the nature of reptiles animals of grotesque shapes who have left no traces behind them. The ichthyosaurus and so on are descendants of these animals. It is a fact 
that at the time the earth was inhabited by beings reptilian in character. Human bodies, too, were reptile-like, when eventually this reptilian human being assumed the upright posture. The formation of the head, quite open in front, out of which gushed a fiery cloud, became visible. This gave rise to the tales about the winged serpent, about the dragon. Such was man's grotesque form at the time, reptile-like. The guardian of the threshold, the lower nature of man, frequently appears in a form of this kind. It represents the lower nature with the open formation of the head. At that time, the union took place between these forms on the earth and the other beings already described. The astral body with the head formation united with the winged serpent body with its fiery opening. It was the fructification of the maternal earth with the paternal spirit. So that's pretty wild to think about, but it does make sense within this system of evolution, right? Because if it is all uh, a system of consciousness evolution, then it would make sense that we started with more uh, of a basic level consciousness, right? Which is normally represented by animals, the animal kingdom. Now, I'm not too well studied in that whole aspect of things, so I'm going to leave it at that. Something for you guys to think about. <laughs> but um, it does, you know, it gives us a little more pause when thinking about how we see these other beings and when we hear about reptilians, right? If these are truly uh, devolved beings or unevolved beings from prior epochs or or just, you know, have devolved from from being cut off from from source for so long then it makes sense when we hear about reptilian beings it's it's no longer just this sort of base level lizard people thing because we're talking about fallen beings fallen means cut off from the evolutionary life wave from the cycle of the earth from christ consciousness They've been cut off from that stream. And what are we really talking about when we talk about things like fallen angels, right? We're talking about a superior spiritual being that has fallen from grace, fallen from the top of the hierarchy into something much lower. When you look at all this stuff, it all matches up, all right? What's interesting is in the Quran 54.1, they talk about the splitting of the moon. There's various interpretations here. One of them says, the hour of resurrection drew near and the moon split asunder. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a type of ascension to me. And I think in the Bible as well, when they talk about resurrection, they're talking about ascending into a more spiritual form. They're talking about this great mitosis this great separation that's happening and i think what they're getting at is this split from the earth into a moon the separation of the lower consciousness and even in the bible they talk about how jesus supposedly descended into hell first they talk about uh, the realm of the dead sheol right from hebrew it's a place of departed souls and spirits it's, um, it's a place where you are judged. 
So just to wrap up on this solar system aspect, I know I go off on tangents, but so these planets that we see in the sky, they're not physical places that we can go to and live on like they talk about in the media. They are prior essences that were previous timelines, previous epochs, iterations of the, of the place where we live. And so they're metaphysical. And yes, there can be beings that live in that metaphysical realm around that sort of place marker. And in fact, Steiner, um, he referred to the plants as a sort of place marker. And the dwelling place when we talk about those planets is really the space in between. So really today, the mainstream method is to look at these things in the sky and, and try and decipher them in a physical way. But we're looking at something metaphysical. We're seeing a material expression of something metaphysical in another dimension. And it's like trying to translate Chinese with a ruler. It's a category error. Because we don't have the ability to, to see and decipher something in the astral using the physical senses. And this is the big problem going on today, is that we're too trapped in materialist science, which I've said over and over again, is a cover for everything spiritual. That's why they invented science. Our friends, the Jesuits, as we mentioned, right? They had a lot to do with science. So you can see why it's been used to cover up and dress up all of these spiritual aspects to give us a bullshit explanation of something that is far more magical to obscure the magic and the secrets of the universe. It's great for trying to explain the more materialist aspects, things of the earth, right? It's the best method we have for that. But it's not so great at explaining the metaphysical and spiritual aspect of things. And so we keep on trying to do that, and it's, it's pretty stupid. And then you have people, you know, on our own side who are like, Oh, the planets are just lights in the sky. They're just lights. Like, no form or function, nothing. Like, they're just useless lights in the sky. Let's stop there. And the moon is fake. The moon is just fake. And there's no space. The cosmos, not a thing. Everything becomes fake or non-existent. No, you're trying to translate Chinese with a ruler. Look deeper. I see a lot of people in the truth circles becoming just as sort of intellectualized as the other side, really stuck in materialist science. If they can't explain it using materialist terms, then it's just unexplainable or it's, it's kind of like dead on the vine, you know? 
we got to remember to think with our spirit, not just our brains. Now, I want to address something because I know some people are confused and I've gotten comments from Flat Earth people. Flat Earther friends, I, I love you, okay? I have no problem with what you believe and um, I personally don't make any claims on the shape of the Earth, but I have people like sending me comments and they're like, you use the word planet. You use the word planet. It's not a planet. Dude, the word plane is in it. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm talking about a ball. And again, to reiterate, our perception, we have no idea what we're talking about. We can see balls in the sky, but that's not in our dimension. It's not 3D. Okay? So it might be completely different in translation, right? And there's also a lot of depictions of like a flat plate with a torus field. We're Maybe we're seeing like an energetic expression. I don't know. You know, like I don't want to talk out of my ass here. But it, it for me, it's not really worth going into that whole thing. It's not... Like, it's not the top of my priority list. But I'll say this. Steiner, often when referring to things, when in and out of referring to them from an etheric point of view, and then from a physical point of view, he danced in both of those worlds. So, I haven't done enough research on his idea of shape of the earth and all that stuff but uh, i will post this one quote from him from certain aspects one can have great reverence for the celestial observations carried out for instance by the ancient chaldeans the ancient chaldeans made very exact observations concerning the connection of human time reckoning with the heavenly phenomena they had a highly developed calendar science much that appears to us today as self-evident really dates back to the Chaldeans. Yet the Chaldeans were satisfied with a mathematical picture of the heavens which portrayed the earth more or less as a flat disk, with the hollow hemisphere of the heavenly vault arced above, the fixed stars fastened to it, and the planets moving over it. Among the planets they also included the sun. They made their calculations with this picture in the background. Their calculations, for the most part, were correct. In spite of being based upon a picture which the science of today can only describe as a fundamental error, as something childish. So there you go. A lot of people say that Steiner was a flat earther, although he wrote a lot of really strange things that were hard to understand. He did often speak negatively about the Copernican model, though. And I know that, you know, the Jesuits, again, had a heavy, heavy influence in uh, astronomy and the shape of the earth and all that. So whatever you want to believe. At this point, it kind of gets in the way, that whole conversation for me. So um, I'm not going to get into it more than this, at least not right now. So it's, uh, it's your crossword puzzle. But I want to say something about Flat Earth that's really important. Regardless of what you believe, 
I see the flat earth community becoming a real psyop because of the reasons that I already mentioned. I see people falling into negative dialectics, right? The way certain psyops work is that they they put your mind into a compartment that is an extreme view. Because you discover a truth about something, it will automatically cause you to take an extreme stance. In this example, that space is fake, that the cosmos are fake, that the stars are fake, or whatever. And then they accomplish the same goal, which is cutting you off from the truth about the nature of our reality. Imagine thinking that all of that is fake. You would never know about this entire system of a planetary evolution. For me, if I were the cult, I'd want to cut you off from knowing all about that, right? So I'd be like, sure, here you go. Here's your little flat earth uh, community. Talk about your little flat earth and believe that space is fake and, you know, keep talking about this, you know, flat versus round thing. And then you'll get stuck in that. You'll get stuck in the mire of that bullshit. And you'll never find out the truth. So people need to learn how to like dip their toes into these subjects and then move on, right? Keep going outside the box. Don't get stuck in there. Don't get stuck in that compartmentalized thinking. I see that happening. And don't hang on my every word either. I'm giving you stepping stones. I'm not correct about everything, like I said. Use every person you listen to as a stepping stone for your own research and your own thinking, your own discernment. That's what you need to develop. Don't cling to these heroes because they're not all correct, I guarantee you. I know some of the most brilliant researchers who have ideas that are so wrong. We're not all perfect, but it's about taking those individual little gems that you get from people, right? And putting them all in a pile and making your own making your own thing, coming to your own conclusion. That's what we need to get good at. The mind is the issue, right? The mind is the reptilian brain. And when you get stuck in that, there's nowhere to go. We don't know what the hell we're looking at. We're handicapped. We're a bunch of handicapped assholes feeling around in the dark. Worms, for example, cannot see light. They can sense it with certain receptors, but they will never know what light looks like because they don't have eyes to see it. So they will never know that light actually exists. They only have a feeling about light. And in a way, we are kind of like that. We are trapped in the five senses. We have this sense of intuition that tells us things. But we can never fully take advantage of the 
perceptions necessary to see everything in our world and beyond. Not while we're in this realm and in these bodies. I want to read something Steiner said about planets. To gain an idea of this evolution, we must have recourse not to abstractions but to pictures, for pictures have a living creative quality that is not contained in the pure idea. The picture is a symbol in one world but corresponds to a reality in a higher world. We know that before developing its present stage, our Earth passed through a phase called the Old Moon Period. But this old moon phase of evolution is not to be confused with the satellite we now see in the sky, nor to any other planet that astronomy might ever discover. The heavenly bodies visible today are bodies which have been mineralized. The human eye can only see objects which contain mineral elements and reflect the light. In other words, objects which have a physical body. When the occultist speaks of the mineral kingdom, he is not merely referring to the stones, but to the milieu at the central core of which the consciousness of man unfolds. Many scholars regard living beings as mere machines and reject the idea of a vital force. This mentality is a result of the fact that our organism is unable really to behold life. The occultist, on the other hand, says that in our age, man lives in the mineral world. So he's basically saying the same thing. We are only seeing mineralized expressions of something that is imperceivable to us. And so we have these previous essences left behind. Saturn was a phase. Mars was a phase. These are previous timelines. And each one bears its influence down on us. Each one is an ingredient in the big cosmic recipe of our existence. And we call that astrology. And of course, these previous shells of our experience on that timeline are of different densities. And right now, we are on the most dense. So when you hear them on the news talking about landing on Mars or, you know, Landing on the moon, it's garbage. It's, it's total clown shoes. We can't do that. No man has ever landed on the moon. And we will never go to Mars. They're just obsessed with certain timelines and, and certain past essences. And so if you're looking at this graphic, we are moving left to right. We are spiritualizing we're going from matter in the earth position most dense matter earth and we will be heading toward new jupiter the new jupiter position according to steiner and anthroposophy and so it's all an evolution an evolutionary wheel and they correlate all this to the chakras uh which you can also see in uh, Vedic Hindu cosmology. They have the various locus that are correlated to the chakra system. And it's very interesting that Earth is an anagram for heart. And take note what color Saturn is, right? Deals with survival, is blocked by fear. That's our base level. That's our root chakra. It's the, the low frequency 
And there's a certain cult that's obsessed with Saturn you might know about, right? And uh, what do they try to keep you in all the time? Fear, pleasure, right? They want you in fear or in constant lust, right? Pornography, sexual energy constantly. And so I guess the purpose of this whole thing, this whole system, is we go through these rounds on our way to spiritual enlightenment, if you will, uh, on our way to become a sort of um, ascended master. Because you could see it as a spiritual purification. It is kind of a school, as much as I'd hate to admit that. And so considering this, it sheds new light on the whole soul trap thing and how people could be discussing it in a negative way because they're calling it a memory wipe when you come here, but really, maybe we are coming here to grow spiritually. I think we would be sort of bogged down or interfered with by our past memories or recollections because you do see people here who are wise, right? They say wise beyond their years. They they seem to be, you know, an old soul, right? Where does that come from? I would say those are people who have already attained a certain level of spiritual growth. They've been around the block a few times. And it's not going to help you spiritually to know the game, to have the cheat codes. When you're playing a game, it can be really difficult, right? Like when you play video games, you have to figure out all the riddles. You have to beat all the bosses, right, without any help, just your own knowledge of the game. And, um, you know, you have to beat it normally. If somebody gives you, the, you know, the code for God mode or whatever, you suddenly aren't confronted with any of those issues. You don't have to know the riddles. You, you, you don't master the game. You don't um, attain the same skill set that you would by going through the game without any help. I don't know about you, but I used to play Super Mario Brothers and like, you know, I'd have a, a boss like Bowser or something. And if I didn't beat Bowser and that motherfucker kicked my ass, I'd have to go back and do the whole thing again until I learned how to beat Bowser properly, right? I needed to attain the skill set and the knowledge to beat Bowser by myself. If somebody had given me the cheat codes, right, to put in God mode and beat Bowser, I wouldn't have flexed those same muscles, right? And it's sort of that spiritual muscle that we're trying to develop here. And if you don't develop it properly, you have to come back until you develop it as needed. Because sometimes you got to go another round, right? When you figure out like, oh, look, you, you need to get up on this ledge and you need to shoot a fireball down at Bowser. And then you got to jump over here to this ledge. And, and then like this is his weak spot. You know, you learn something new with every round and it's not going to help you attain those skills by having cheat codes, right? By having your memory. And I think that's obviously linked to getting rid of your karmic debt or however you want to look at it. You know, there's various ways of looking at it, um, being the right vibration, the right frequency, being more toward the spirit. So it could be that we're just taking a very simplistic and fear-based view of what the memory wipe and the whole reincarnation cycle really is. 
So that's one possible view, that it is just an organic system of evolution that we are meant to be a part of. The other view is that the entire solar system, the entire system of evolution could be a hijack. It could be a demiurgic system. And that's what's been driving me crazy is going back and forth between these two ideas because I listen to researchers that I respect who say, no, this is just the organic system. Like, this is the, the system that, that God meant for us. And then there are people who believe in the, you know, the bad copy version that we are in a false matrix. We're, we've been hijacked away from where we're really supposed to be. And both have elements that make sense to me. Either way, I've been showing you the sort of Steiner system of how it all works or possibly works, regardless of if it's where we're supposed to be or not. I want to play a few minutes of a near-death experience that Wayne Bush recorded years ago. Uh, and it's from his website, trickedbythelight.com. And it's really one of the most amazing NDEs I've ever heard. Uh, there was this man who supposedly met what you may consider to be the Demiurge. And he tells this like three-hour story. Uh, but here's a little snippet of what he says. I'm like, right in front of this, you know, you know, uh, Norman Rockwell looking kind of God guy, you know, big, long flowing white hair, big white beard, his brassy face. <laughs> nah, it ain't that. You ain't going to think it's Santa Claus after this. Although a lot of people, we'll talk about that later. Um, he had like burning red eyes, brassy face, brass colored face, but he's translucent, kind of like the, you know, like the gold up, up in, you know, heaven, whatever you want to call that place. And, uh, he's severe. This guy is not somebody that you want to mess with. I mean, he's just full of, of, uh, serious intent. I mean, very, very serious guy. And he's got all these star maps, and he's showing them to me. You know? I'm like absorbing it, and he's trying to explain to me everything. I'm like, we're, we're, I'm having to make some agreements to go into a body. And he's showing me why. This star is aligned with this, and this galaxy, and this planet, and this, that, and and it's and it's like these maps. You don't remember these details at this point. I mean, you just remember that he was explaining. It was all over your head, that kind of that you couldn't follow it. No, I understood it at the time, but it's like it was blanked from my. Uh, right. The it's like it's taken from me. I was left. I was. He opened up some new books, okay, for me, and he showed me how we interact with one another, and one of them was waves. Okay, we're in waves. And, and the waves go across the whole earth 
and they're and they're like a imagine a ocean waves and they're waves that go across the entire earth of light and darkness and he showed me how he was like a filter for this for the earth it caused the waves in other words he caused the waves uh by his presence of darkness it's like imagine putting up a veil in front of a window and you some of it goes through and so but that somehow putting the veil of it caused the light and the darkness on the earth to pull, to pull up the light pulls up and the darkness pulls down and so the whole earth was like a big round ball of waves that move across the entire uh, prism in any kind of sense or not I, I don't know what that what well, i mean i i mean i mean imagine a bowling ball but with waves going all the way across it i mean if you want to call it a prism i, I just know what it was okay and it, the light pulled down I mean, the light pulled up, the darkness pulled down, and it was like a perfect balance to him. And he was trying to explain to me how he was superior, okay, to the light. Okay, how was he superior? Because he had this thing balanced, and everybody lined up for miles and miles to come here. Because they wanted to experience what he has. And what he has is this perfect balance of one-third light and two-thirds, I mean, two-thirds light and one-third darkness. It's like the it's like a counterbalance, the yin and yang thing, but it's not the lightness is there's it's more light than it is dark. And it's not always exactly in balance. And what he was describing is he needed me to do some things to keep the balance of light up. Because if there aren't people doing light things, then the balance gets too wonkered and, and it gets too dark and it's like game over. Very, very interesting. So if you take that to be true, this figure, the Demiurge, whatever you want to call him, does seem to be an adversary of the light, the true light, right? God, whatever. And he has a whole system going on, a whole nother system going on where he has a balance, right? A, a duality, the light and dark, rather than just the light just love and peace and harmony. And he describes this sort of concept that we've been talking about for so long where people are making contracts to come here and live their lives. So that's another point of view, you know, very compelling. So I'll leave it up to you to decide. But many ancient texts, including the Bible, talk about Satan being the god of this world, the prince of this world, what have you. So, that does seem to be the case, whether it's a false matrix, a, a bad copy, or part of the organic system. I mean, we do know what's happening on the earth is a little wonky, right? Things have run amok. Or is it all for a reason? Is he just, you know, at the helm of this particular part of the game? This particular part of our evolution that we need to experience? Do we need to experience the light and dark before we go on to something else? 
But the Demiurge character in that NDE did suggest that his system was better. So there was this element of him trying to outdo the light, right? Trying to outdo the true God, which fits the sort of biblical descriptions of the devil and Satan and all that. There's this element of selfishness and competition there that has to be noted. He was this fallen angel that was kicked out of heaven because of what he believed or rebelling against God. So he fell from the hierarchy. And with that, and because he has a past as an angel, we have to consider this two-thirds light thing that he was talking about, right? Maybe he's not all dark. The most convincing evil comprises light within it, but is at its foundation evil. And that's what truly fools people, right? There's always these sort of sayings about the devil that the minute he starts speaking, you are already fooled. And the Bible in Ezekiel even describes him as uh, the anointed cherub, you know, perfect and beautiful. You are the holy mountain of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. It says you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So there's this element there of a being that was once held in high regard and then became corrupted. So we have to consider that there are still good parts to his evil. So by having those good parts, he can masquerade in what might appear to be good. And I bring this up because he talks about this Demiurge character messing with the stars and showing him how he uses the stars. And, you know, he brings up an association with the planets. So this could mean that the entire system is part of this AI demiurgic system, the whole solar system. So it's another point of view to keep in mind there. Because after all, if this is a bad copy or fake matrix, it is a very beautiful place, right? This earth masquerades as a beautiful and majestic place with a lot of... Uh, wonderful things about it. But there are small corruptions in it, for sure. One such corruption is the whole eating animals thing, I believe. And this is actually explained in Robert Monroe's book, Far Journeys. In one chapter, he describes talking to some being in one of his experiences. And the being is explaining that animals and beings were, were created in order to harvest more louche. And I think first he describes, you know, plants and stuff like that, but that wasn't really enough louche or it wasn't pure louche. It wasn't good enough. So they decided to create mobiles, meaning animals, beings. And this is what it says. As the second crop grew scarce, energy needs of the mobiles became acute. Often, two mobiles would seek to ingest the identical second crop unit. This created conflict, which resulted in a physical struggle among two or more of the ungainly mobiles. Someone observed these struggles, at first bemused with the problem, then with great interest. As the struggles ensued, the mobiles were emanating louche not in fractional amounts, but in sizable, usable quantities and of a much higher purity. 
he quickly put the theory to the test. He removed another unit of first crop from the liquid garden area, redesigned it for the gaseous environment, but with one significant change. The new mobile would be somewhat smaller, but would require the ingestion of the other mobile. But would require the ingestion of other mobiles for nourishment. This would solve the problem of overpopulation of mobiles, and at the same time would create good quantities of usable louche during each conflict struggle, plus a bonus if the new class of mobile terminated the lifespan of the other. Someone would be able to transmit to somewhere practical amounts of reasonably pure louche. Thus it was that the rule of the prime catalyst came into being. Conflict among carbon-oxygen cycle units brings forth consistent emanations of louche. It was as simple as that. And he goes on to describe how thousands of beings were created of different sizes and given various types of defense mechanisms, you know, claws for gouging, grasping, um, things to prolong the conflict and create bigger and better louche. So that's very fascinating and disturbing. Because we all know there's these small corruptions that happen here that just don't seem like something a an all-loving God would create, right? I'm not sure an all-loving God would create conflict uh, and the need or necessity for one being to consume another in order to survive. But that's how it is here. And I, I think that it is um, the healthy way in my experience, but not necessarily the kind way. So that's a hard thing to deal with. Now, please don't send me messages about your vegan diet or anything like that. I really, I really don't care. You eat whatever you want. You do whatever is good for you. Okay. Um, I'm just telling you how I feel about it and my experience. But there you go. Meat eaters and vegans are correct at the same time. Okay? That's how fucked up this world is. And according to Monroe's book, it seems like everything living creates louche anyway. We're all animated with the same energy. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that we live in a bad copy, right? It could mean that um, animals like us were just genetically modified or manipulated. Right? We know that we've been manipulated. I, I believe that. Like we've been trapped in our five senses. We were given, you know, a reptilian brain or what have you. They, they've definitely been genetically modifying people, right? We saw that. We saw that happening. So that could be the case. What's also interesting is... During that NDE, he, he spoke about how the Demiurge showed him the stars and he associated stars and galaxies with planets. And I wish he went into more detail about that, but I guess he didn't remember. So I've heard a number of things about stars. I've heard that they are conscious bodies, that they are specific light signatures that correspond to certain timelines or possibly parallel Earths. So they function as a sort of stargate. And if you watch uh, 
the Lion King, there's a scene where they're talking about the stars and what the stars are, and they ask Simba, what do you think the stars are? And he says, well, somebody once told me that they're great kings looking down on us. Great kings of the past, I think he said. So that's really interesting. There's always this sort of personification of the stars, but also that there's some kind of Stargate thing happening up there. That's in a lot of movies and television, right? Usually when you see something repeated over and over again in pop culture, there's something true about it. In my experience, they don't just make things up like that, right? There's usually something to it. That's what I've found. But so when we hear about beings from like Zeta Reticuli or whatever star system, the idea is that that's a conglomeration of their energy and um, they are sort of linked to that timeline. So if they talk about aliens coming from Mars, for example, they're not coming from Mars. They're coming from that phase of the Earth. It was a specific timeline. It was a specific point in the Earth's evolution. And they're coming through that stargate that was created after that phase. And there's stuff that's come up in my research about stars or star systems appearing after phases, after epochs or um, cataclysms, you know, after resets or, or what might be considered a reset. So it's as if that is a specific marker for that point in time or that point in an evolution. What's crazy is if you look up the etymology of the word disaster, it literally translates to ill-starred, right? Disaster. The sense is astrological of a calamity blamed on an unfavorable position of a planet and star probably meant in the astrological sense of destiny, fortune, fate. Latin, astrum sinistrum, misfortune, literally unlucky star. And English, ill-starred. Super amazing, especially after we talked about how it relates to disease, how influenza was the influence of the stars, and, and the etymology was bad star or evil star. It seems like the stars dictate a whole lot. Some people do say that the whole lower astral realm that we see is part of the fake matrix. It could be, from that point of view, that that is part of the control system, right? Just like the Demiurge character in that NDE pointing to the stars and saying this is how he does things. It's the Demiurgic system. Dictates disease, it dictates your fate, it dictates... Um, these calamities that happen, you know, every once in a while, boom, reset. And maybe we agreed to this. I don't know. I have no idea, but I'm definitely going to kick my higher self in the ass when I meet him. Okay, switching gears here. I mentioned aliens before. There's really no such thing as aliens. Aliens is a label created by the government and the elites, so they don't have to tell you that a lot of these beings are just like us, but from different phases of the Earth's evolution. And what happens when you're kicked out of that evolution? You stop evolving. You become deformed. You look mutated. And there's 
different kinds of beings, and some are, I believe, creations or chimeras of some kind as well. Remember, Steiner talked about beings from Lemuria, I think he said, that were lizard-like. And so if you stop your evolution at the point where you're lizard-like, well, that gives you a lizard-like alien race, right? What is the organic life wave or consciousness stream, right? That's Christ. What is Christ? Christ is the sun. It's high vibes, right? It's the higher consciousness as opposed to the lower. When you go against the higher consciousness and you're constantly doing evil, you're devolving because how do we evolve? If you watched episode 54, you might have an idea. The sun. We evolve through the sun. I've read through studies where it shows that there is some connection between the sun and um, the genetic evolution or changes in the genome for humans. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of all that, but there seems to be a, a link for sure. So I think we evolved through the sun, through Christ, which is why they want to block out the sun and, and all that and why everybody worshiped the sun right? The sun is divine. It is Christ. It is light from the Godhead. And if you go against Christ and you do evil and you stay on that low frequency over and over again, you do not evolve with the rest of humanity. You do not go through that purification system, right? So you're going con- to you're going to devolve. You're going to turn into a demon eventually. You become a degenerate from phrase degenerate, from D, off, away from, of things unworthy, debased, having fallen in quality or passed to an inferior state. Don't you love words? They tell you everything. That's why we call people degenerates. They're typically immoral people, people who go against good nature. So degenerate is a perfect word for these beings. Another perfect word is monsters or moon stars, right? Beings trapped in the moonlock. It's all in the etymology. Cis stars, mist stars, mass stars, young stars, gang stars, you name it. But I want to talk more about these monsters or moon stars. I want to read an excerpt from The Light of Egypt, Volume 1, by Thomas H. Burgoyne. This is from 1889. Now, that magnetic sphere of our planet, which exactly corresponds to the animal soul of man, is what is occultly termed the dark satellite. Therefore, in order to comprehend this dusky sphere, its nature and functions, it is absolutely necessary to understand the nature and function of the animal soul of man together with its relations to the other six divisions and also to clearly grasp man's relation to the planet of which he forms, as it were, an atomic part towards an organic whole. When the above is understood, it will then be seen that this dark magnetic orb constitutes the grand center of focus of the Earth's animal force. In other words, it is the realm of the undeveloped good in nature, whose terrible motto is embraced in the word self. During the golden and silver periods of our Earth's evolution, this dark satellite was in the aphelion portion of its orbit, and its influence was scarcely felt, 
or else its influence was seen and recognized only in its true relation of animal force and undeveloped good. As a factor of evil, it was imperceptible. But during the Copper and Iron Ages, the dark satellite gradually approached the Earth, and its degrading forces became more and more bewildering and potent until the year 1881, when it passed its grand perihelion point. Throughout the whole of this loathsome sphere are numerous races of spiritual beings, many of them possessing the highest forms of cunning and intelligence possible to the animal plane. It is these creatures who are neither elementals nor elementaries, but treacherous beings who produce the greatest portion of the suffering and misery which afflicts humanity. They are the active occult agents of the potent fraternity within the spiritual world which has its external expression and correspondence in the brotherhood known upon earth as the Black Magi, or Inversive Brethren. The Black Magi, yes, the Inversive Brethren, I'm sure you can guess who that is. There's a group here on earth doing inverted things all the time, performing black magic and contacting what Burgoyne called the Dark Satellite, the Eighth Sphere. And it's my opinion that they aim to bring the Eighth Sphere onto the Earth. In Last Cry, Native American Prophecies, Tales of the End Times, Robert Ghost Wolf writes, The dark hunters are everywhere. They are hiding in the shadows of your dreams and in the places where your doubts lie. The dark hides in shadows because it is afraid to be seen. The moment that it is in the fullness of the light, it transforms. You will know the dark hunters because they have no face of their own. They have no form of their own. They are shapeshifters and soul snatchers. They ride upon your spirit. They will drain your energy, for they are not creators and have no dreams of their own. The dark hunters take on the nature of all that is going on around them. They are the great chameleons, taking on the character and coloring of their hosts. They are the necromancers, possessing no life of their own. They always come from our unresolved past. They cannot exist in the now. One can live in fantasy of the past or the future. These are phantom worlds, but to exist in the now takes power, for it is by right use of will and will alone that one can claim enough power to exist in the now. Know that it is only through the now that one can manifest any expression of reality. So what stands out in that to me is the part where he says, they always come from our unresolved past. That's super powerful. And in my podcast with Jerry Marzinski, he told me he had asked the demons, what are you? And they told him, we are you. We are you. Given what we've talked about in this podcast and my other podcast on this subject, knowing about the eighth sphere and that it's made up of our impulses and our thought forms, our collective aggregores, that's very powerful. So really, what are these beings? Who are these beings? They're coming to us from different timelines. They're coming to this timeline. Seems like it's an opportune time for where we are as a planet. 
I kind of see some of these beings as our thought forms, but if our thought forms were considered artificial intelligence, run amok. I don't know if that makes sense to any of you, but I just think the bigger conversation here is this consensus reality thing, the very nature of how things are created here. Now, I listen to a shit ton of podcasts. I will fall asleep to podcasts mostly every night. (laughs) I'm always watching or reading or listening to something. And this one night, I fell asleep with a very long podcast on um, with Santos Bonacci. And in the dead of night, I just happened to wake up and I hear him talking in this podcast about demons and it blew my mind because it's exactly what I've been talking about this whole time and and just exactly my thought process on all of this research so I want to play a few minutes of this it's uh it's mind-blowing You'll love every second of it. And I I ripped this out of like a three-hour podcast or something. So you're welcome. You've got to know how the structure works. The structure is they create demonic God archetypes which have life and breath in them because how you create these demons is, I mean, individuals do them all the time. You see these people who are going insane on the streets that are having conversations with themselves well who they're talking to is actually their own demons or emotion forms that they have created they may have got really 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 angry one day you know 20 years ago and and that emotion from that anger stayed with them and it resided deep in their heart and burned and burned and every day they gave it energy and energy and it grows and grows and all of a sudden you start talking to that energy and it it, it um, builds a life of its own. Well, when congregations or covens, covenant, the bar, when they get together and form secret societies, you can rest assured what they are doing. They are not just, you know, having some social chit-chatter. They are creating emotion, thought, forms. These are charged entities that grow as they channel energy into them. So every time one million pedophile supporters turn up at uh, St. Peter's Square at at Easter to hear Chief of Pedophiles, uh, Pope Francis, uh, talk about how beautiful pedophilia is on the earth and how much they bless it and love it and practice it, uh, those Catholics that go there to bless that situation, they are actually actually giving life to egregores, demons that these guys have actually created, monsters that give us hell and want blood. These demons are so angry. They're, they're constituted of um, evil emo- uh, human um, thoughts and emotions and mixed with animal. The animal um, chakra of the uh, earth is called the dark satellite. The dark satellite rules all the evil ones on the planet. They are ruled exclusively by the dark satellite. It's, it's the, the lowest animal chakra that the earth has. There you go, the dark satellite, the eighth sphere, the lower astral realm, full of thought forms and aggregores. We create 
I can't tell you how much information I actually get that way. Just these random kind of synchronistic moments. I should have been dead ass asleep, but I perked up in the middle of the night hearing Santos talk about demons. And I, <laughs> I immediately like wrote down, you know, the time code so I could pull that out. So it seems obvious these elites know what they're doing. They know how to focus their energy. They know how this realm works. And I think that's what they're doing, you know, with all their rituals and all their spreading of fear. And, you know, they want to create that kind of energy. And so, again, the conversation is, well, if we can create demons and we, you know, we create these aggregores and thought forms, then we have the power and ability to make this world into a heavenly place if we all just get on the same page but every system they've created every construct prevents us from doing that they created religion so we're all worshiping different things uh, they're manipulated stories with their fake saviors they've created this way of living where we're constantly in fear about paying our bills. We're constantly just trying to survive, right? We're in that that lower red chakra, survival. And when you're in survival and fear and, you know, outside of that, just seeking pleasure because that's all you really have when your whole life is paying bills and working nine to five and you know, being a rat in the maze. We don't have the opportunity to put the kind of energy out in the world that we need to. Now, Tom Montauk has a pretty good breakdown of uh, beings. So aside from demons, let's see what other kind of beings there may be. What we call aliens are hyperdimensional beings. They hide behind the veil of our perceptions and can project themselves into our visible reality at will. They are not recent visitors to Earth, but have been here for hundreds of thousands of years and continue to live here, mostly in underground bases. Some aliens helped genetically engineer the human race, while other factions later crippled human genetics in order to turn mankind into little more than a source of physical and etheric food. Today, those interacting with humanity via abductions have a negative orientation and intend to create a race of human-alien hybrids capable of ruling over humanity while having total allegiance to the interdimensional alien empire. Literature tends to identify these negative aliens as the reptilians, greys, mantids, and some hostile Nordic factions. There exist positively oriented beings as well, notably the more positive Nordics, but they respect the law of free will and do not engage in physical abductions. Rather, they exist as a spiritual brotherhood, lending their service to protect and guide those of us who seek freedom from the limitations of this 3D matrix control system, prison, school, earth. Hostile aliens are 4D and 5D dark entities. They consist of beings who have evolved beyond limited three-dimensional linear time status. They exist at a level of reality beyond our five senses, the backstage to our reality, so to speak. Preside over all elements of the lower hierarchy 
of the matrix control system, from the individual to entire human organizations. They are beyond linear time and thus can do this. Fourth density beings have the physical form related to whatever animal species they originally evolved from, which is exactly what Steiner said, what we were talking about. All present on Earth are humanoid in nature. Some look human, some reptilian, other insectoid. Their form is temporarily alterable due to the variable physicality of fourth density. They are part of interstellar and interdimensional empires seeking conquest. They take over entire worlds and races for genetic, physical, and spiritual resources. This is done patiently over thousands of years, but because they are beyond linear time, it does not hinder them. They seek energy, and Earth has been molded into a farm for them. This energy consists of human life force, emotional and spiritual, and sexual energy. Being hyperdimensional, they can suck this directly via telepathic connection or via the many agents or portals they have instated among the general population. They have been here for hundreds of thousands of years and have long ago altered the human genetic code to reduce us to our most primal levels. We are spiritually crippled because of this. Above them are non-physical entities of demonic nature, dark occult overlords who are supreme in their dark wisdom and knowledge. While 4D entities are rough around the edges and serve more as minions and henchmen, 5D entities are the commanders, Luciferian in nature. They are advanced enough to appear in whatever form they want and can thus appear human. Some of the hostile red-haired Nordics are of this category. They are locked into their own mode of existence, and above them in the hierarchy is only the Logos, or Thought Center, the Black Sun, the spiritual hole that inevitably sucks all self-centered consciousness into it. To stave off this spiritual death, they need increasing energy from those below in the hierarchy. In fact, all dark practitioners seek to avoid the metaphysical consequences of what they do, which is why they are into physicality and prolonging life while physical. They can do what they want and delay paying the debt. Rather than being misguided or unevolved, these beings are highly evolved but in an entropic fashion. They have great knowledge and wisdom concerning how to serve the Creator within themselves at the expense of the Creator within others. They have weaknesses. They are prone to wishful thinking due to their narrow, probable reality range. Hyperdimensional beings occupy bandwidth of probable realities whose spectrum corresponds to their soul frequencies. So those of a negative nature who vibrate at a lower and more restricted rate tend to operate within a more limited range of probable realities. This makes them blind to certain outcomes, probabilities, that are not within their perception. They are very practical, so they seek the easiest route. This is because they must economize their energy and strategy. The nature of self-serving evolution involves conquest over finite resources, so efficiency and calculation are necessary. They cannot easily deviate from their plans. All is calculated. It takes them a while to adjust to new evasive tactics employed by a target. Part of this is due to them attacking from outside linear time, meaning they send in their attacks simultaneously along the past, present, and future. So what happens to us as an attack spanning several days or weeks is for them a single instant, and so they appear slow to respond to our improvisations. The lower entities cannot deal with complexity easily unless pre-calculated. 
most of what they do is geared toward optimizing success, which usually involves moving along the probable reality that best fits their end goals. But there is always a free will factor which throws things off, and if a target uses free will to be unpredictable, this adds incalculable complexity to the range of branching probabilities and therefore disorients them. They think they always have the advantage, so they get careless. Many times they don't expect resistance because they think their agenda is secret and beyond human comprehension. Lack of unity among them disrupts the spiritual coherence of their collective and therefore disintegrates what energy they collect, meaning they have to keep collecting more. Thus, they are like black holes needing more and more energy, like a hyperdimensional pyramid scheme. They preside over lower human levels of the control system. Every individual in an STS service-to-self hierarchy is both predator and prey. Predator to those below, prey to those above. Likewise, anyone who is predator or prey participates in the STS hierarchy. Humans of strong STS orientation incarnate to heighten the negativity, polarity, and carry out missions and agenda. They are of low spiritual frequency and tend to be born into positions of power. These form the elite of the world, who are ultimately directed by the alien powers heading the STS hierarchy. They incarnate primarily into associated bloodlines because DNA and soul tend to correspond. So tracing bloodlines can show potentiality or destiny. Bloodlines like these arise via genetic modification by alien factions or by mutation in response to the soul frequency of ancestors who made negative soul packs with higher dark powers. These bloodlines have a physical and spiritual symbiotic relationship with their alien counterparts. Their function is power and conquest, and right now we are in the final phase of their conquest. Negative hyperdimensional forces want total control over mankind. Their influence upon mankind at large can be termed the hyperdimensional control system. Excellent stuff from Tom. And I want to read another amazing breakdown by Gigi Young, who's a wonderful mystic and researcher. What many people think are aliens or extraterrestrials are actually something called a golem. A golem is a man-made physical form that dark magicians can ensoul with a demonic entity or an entity from the lower planes. These creatures have always been created in the dark arts, and what we are seeing today with physical aliens is just a more institutionalized, sophisticated, and scientific expansion of this basic practice. Thus, many of the physical beings that are seen in abduction cases are not aliens, they're man-made golems, being marketed as extraterrestrials. This is also why many aliens appear to have robotic parts. They're clearly man-made things. Crypto-terrestrials and Atlantis. Other physical entities that appear in alien lore are actually connected to the Earth and would be considered crypto-terrestrials. These are also physical beings that are from a different epoch of the Earth, such as the Atlantean. They look strange because they are essentially devolved humans, or even chimeras from a prior earthly epoch. When we understand Atlantis and what happened after the cataclysms, we will understand what many people currently call aliens. The reality that many people do not recognize the prior epochs of the Earth and what occurred in those periods is why we are so confused on this topic. We lazily call any strange being physical or non-physical an alien. Everything is an extraterrestrial today at the expense of any meaningful esoteric examination. 
interdimensionals. Entities that are interdimensional or appear and disappear at will are spiritual entities. These beings are not aliens and are divided into two basic kinds. Beings from within the angelic hierarchies or heavenly realms and beings that are within the abyss or hell realm. These spiritual beings have been observed as long as we have had records. They are not new, and we have already made esoteric systems to identify them and categorize them. There is no point in reinventing the wheel here. Higher beings don't use technology. Higher spiritual forces like angels or spiritual masters do not need to use technology to manifest or perform any task. They have mastered the material plane and can influence the material level of reality with their mind. They even have some mastership of time, depending on their level of integration, initiation. On the other hand, lower beings do need to use technology, as they have no mastership over the material plane and need to use external means to create an effect. They are, in fact, trapped in materiality and try to use technology to escape the material level of existence. They depend on technology, and technology is a prominent way of asserting their influence. Clearly, there is a possessed aspect within society that also adheres to seeing technology as the source of power, evolution, and liberation. As above, so below. Conflation The conflation of spiritual beings as extraterrestrial is an attempt to glorify lower demonic beings by making them seem as though they are foreign rather than fallen. It is also an attempt to spiritualize technology rather than have humanity turn towards the transcendence of the material plane through inner development. The idea of golems are especially interesting to me, seeing as there's this big push towards uh, robots and um, transhumanism and this other technology that they're working on. When you look at movies like Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, right? What was happening there? So, the idea of ensouling inanimate objects has been in pop culture actually for a while. And, and even recently, there's this movie called Megan, where they create this mechanical doll. And, uh, you know, she becomes self-aware and basically this demonic robotic doll. And if you're a disembodied entity... I think it would behoove you to create a way on this earth to ensoul people, things, whatever you can to have some sort of physicality, right? Okay, well, we covered quite a bit in this podcast, and I'm tired now. Hopefully you guys found this interesting. We talked a lot about the moon, the planets, the stars. And pay attention, you know, now when you see things about the moon in pop culture. Nine out of ten times you'll notice it's something uh, associated with evil or wrongdoing or, you know, that lower form of consciousness. And they seem to worship that. That's what they stand for. Evil, the left-hand path. The opposite of the sun, right? The opposite polarity. And this is everywhere. Songs, right? I see a bad moon rising. Don't go out tonight. It's sure to take your life. There's a bad moon on the rise. <laughs> They've told you your whole life. We've had werewolf movies, right? You turn into a werewolf when the full moon is out. Because the full moon, you know, along with this eighth sphere, 
it's a dark satellite. I think they are mainly talking about the A-sphere when they refer to the dark satellite, but um, you can see the moon as part of that for sure. It is this sort of influence upon us, upon our animalistic urges. That's why you have werewolves, and that's why you have people acting crazy on the full moon. It does have an effect on us. Every, everything out there has an effect, an influence. It's bearing its influence down on us. The planets, the moon, the sun, everything. What did Jerry Marzinski say in our podcast? Sundown syndrome, right? Demonic activity is increased after the sun goes down. They don't like that light, that influence. It's really the key to everything, and people don't realize it. Even menstruation is connected to the moon. Moon, men, menstruation, menses. They even have studies connecting menstruation with the moon cycles. There's truth to that. I'm not sure how that all <laughs> works, and I'm not sure I want to, but... Uh, it makes PMS make a lot more sense. So when your wife or girlfriend is acting erratic, just know she's being influenced by the moon and you should get the fuck away. Don't send me hate mail, women. I'm sorry. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys found this interesting and intriguing. I want to thank everybody who donated to the show for my birthday. I really appreciate all your donations. I need them now more than ever. If you uh, got even $5 worth of knowledge out of this, please consider making a donation. It really helps me out. I'm looking to relocate soon, so I definitely need your support. And of course, if you're new to the podcast, please do subscribe. Spotify is my main platform, and that goes out to Apple and all the other major platforms as well. Also, very important, please follow me on at least one of my backup channels like BitChute or Odyssey. People's podcast episodes have been taken down recently by the speech police, and that's a little scary. So if I ever disappear, I want you guys to be able to find me. I will leave links to those channels in my description. I am on YouTube again as well, but I, I don't expect to be there very long. So please keep that in mind. Uh, can also hang out with me on instagram at a light on podcast if you're into that and as always share this podcast with your friends or anyone you think might be interested word of mouth is extremely important thank you all for listening hope this transmission finds you well see you next time